Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business-growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify-approved course, 1,000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who's listening for the first time ever, there's two things I need you to do. Number one is to understand that I am Nick. I run this podcast. I'm the CEO of Just Ask Parker, working in the industry for years. And the second thing I need you to know is there's a subscribe button on whatever channel you're listening on. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple iTunes. We've, I think, now launched on Amazon. I've been saying that for a few months now. I'm pretty sure we're live on Amazon podcast as well. So you can ask your Alexa at home or anything like that. But yeah, you're very welcome on the show. And if it is your first time, please feel free to scroll back and check out some of the previous episodes as well. Today, we've got a very, very special guest with us. And we're going to be talking about taking your store international. So without further ado, it's my delight to introduce the commercial director of WeMook Websites, Mr. Tim Richardson. Hi, Tim. Nick, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's great to have you here. And before we dive in, do you want to just give us a little bit of context about WeMook Websites and your role in the business? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we make websites. Uh, we're a digital commerce agency. Uh, we specialize in design, build and optimization of Shopify plus stores for international brands. Some of the brands we work with, BBC, Hasbro, David Beckham, Toast, Alessi, This Works, and Neil's Yard Dairy and Remedies. We're like a team of about 60 plus. We did have offices in London and New York, <laughs> but of course we're embracing the brave new world and we are now remote first and they are now quote unquote hubs, not offices. And this year will mark our 11th anniversary. And look, our goal is to become the world's best Shopify plus agency. And I'm very confident you can hear it here. Your listeners can hear it here that we will do that in under two years. And yeah, I, I started as a salesperson slash project manager, but moved into a head of growth role where I kind of had to build out the business development, marketing, sales functions to support our growth. At that time, we started a New York agency. So I went from managing myself and one other <laughs> to managing 10 people across the UK and North America. Nice. And then, yeah, I recently became commercial director at the start of this year. You're now a HR expert as well, are you, Tim? I am now a HR expert, <laughs> cool. in, in, indeed. And yeah, look, at the moment, my, my primary focus is the commercial and growth strategy of the business that supports the trajectory uh, that we have to becoming the best Shopify Plus agency in the world. And then in my spare time, of which there is not much, I, I'm going to plug my own podcast here. Yeah, do it. I, I started a podcast last year, like with everyone, and I think it's a great format. Your basket is empty. It's a not-so-serious interview-style podcast where I chat with cool people doing interesting stuff in tech and e-com. You can check it out at yourbasketisempty.com or all the platforms that you suggested at the start of this podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I'm going to hold you guys to that every 1st of January every year now. <laughs> I'm going to email you and be like, are you the world's best and biggest <laughs> Shopify agency? And also, I suppose, it, you know, look, it's nice to have those North Stars and like, how does one actually measure those things? Yeah, but it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a good to have that kind 
kind of core vision and and it is something that we are truly passionate about amazing amazing and i think it just asked parker we're trying to sort of find our feet in that sense at the moment what we do is great but we don't necessarily have a north star so part of my involvement from june this year which is when i joined the plan now is to work out how do we grow what do our customers look like what do we want them to look like and how do we make them look like that and i think it's uh, yeah it's a very very exciting exciting journey but Let's dive into international Shopify because I know that's why everybody's listening. I think it's good to have some context and we've done that. Let's talk about international Shopify stores. So first question, Tim, what's the big appeal? I'm going to take a quick sidestep before I answer the question and I will answer it. I'm not a politician. I'm not going to dodge this question. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's define it first. So what is international Shopify stores? So in the Shopify world, there is this concept where you can either have one store or multiple stores. Now, if anyone is exposed to the Shopify Plus ecosystem, and I'm sure many of your listeners are, they will probably be aware of what that is, but they may not know what that means. So that's what we're talking about. Is it one store or multiple stores? Now, I'll, I'll start with the kind of caveat before I get into the appeal of multiple stores or one store. And that is that, that there is a lot of development going on in the Shopify world to kind of address this challenge. And it is a challenge, right? Like how does one sell internationally using a relatively new technology like Shopify? And I think they're making some great gains, but I will stress, I reckon it's quite a hard problem to solve. Like, Selling internationally, and we will go into it in a little bit more detail throughout this podcast and try and simplify and demystify it, but it is quite difficult. So I, I would argue that there isn't a silver bullet solution, and I think Shopify are making some great gains, and I think agencies around the world have got their own technologies and ways of working and workarounds, which are great. And so I think there are advancements, but there's no silver bullet, and of course, it depends on the client. Now, having said that, what is the appeal of Shopify and its international architecture? Well, depends which path you go down. But if you're going down the simpler routes where you're using maybe just one store, it's exactly that. It's simple. It's quick to market. It's easy to use. It comes with some operational challenges, but it's a good starting point. If you go into this other world of like multiple stores, again, it depends on the client, but it does give you things like greater levels of control in terms of your customers and your locale, especially from like a language perspective. There is also SEO benefit. So Google likes the idea of the kind of one store, one currency, one language, and then the URL structures that kind of support this. So I would say that they are the kind of big appeals when you look at it more broadly. But of course, you need to look at the platform as a whole when you're evaluating it. Sure. And I think I'm going to pick up on the SEO point there because I understand completely why you've said that. And I'm going to, I'm also going to quote one of your caveats of it depends on the client. Because I think, for example, we have four projects on the go right now that not specifically Shopify ones, but they've all got an international element. And we get asked the same questions. Do we put it on forward slash DE for Germany, forward slash UK for UK? Or do we just put everything on .com and let the code do the rest? Or should we put everything on their own domains, like .co.uk.com, .de, etc.? And actually, when we did some tests on this, we found the best solution was actually the opposite of what you just said. And I'll explain why that's fine in a sec as well. But the actual best solution we found from an SEO perspective was to have them all on their own domains and have a localized, this is the German store, this is the American store, this is the Australian store, etc. However, why I agree with you that actually it's better from an SEO point of view is it's more manageable. And sometimes you can end up with a website that is so complicated to manage that actually you just can't get anything done, which then means it's irrelevant what domain structure you've gone for and all that. You just don't have the capacity to update 20 websites. So why did you build 20 in the first place? And I think, again, that's why it's important to understand the scenario. 
But essentially what Google does need, whatever you do, and, and we actually covered this on a podcast a few episodes ago in our SEO series, was actually to look at making sure you have something on each instance. So each instance being each country, whether that's on one Shopify install or lots of different Shopify, you just need to make sure there's something to reference what that country is focusing on. So Google does know this URL here is for Germany, this one is for the US, this one is for Australia. And as you mentioned, Tim, that can be achieved within a single Shopify setup, can't it? Absolutely, yeah. The way I look at it is from a very broad, high level, you've got a continuum of single store environments to multi-store environments. And along that continuum, (laughs) there is an inverse relationship between SEO and management. So singular stores, less management, not necessarily as good from a high level for SEO. Multiple stores, better for SEO, but you need to manage more stores. However, and this is the big kicker, right? I'd argue that the actual increase in operational overhead of multiple stores is not as great as one might think. And if you can quantify that overhead and match it with the overall net benefit of the Shopify Plus platform, then I think it does actually make it a compelling argument if you're approaching it from an international perspective. Caveat being that underlines all of that, it depends on the client. Also, the life cycle of the brand, right? Like if you're a new brand. I feel like we're going to use this caveat a lot. This, <laughs> it, it's, everybody says it on every podcast episode we've done, and it, I think it is so important. But um, yeah, I think a lot of what we talk about actually is giving people the tools to work out what to paint on their canvas, to use that as a metaphor. It's a, Absolutely, yeah. And I think it is really, really key. So. Yeah, and I think that it's a, it's a really good point because I would argue, and certainly some of the sort of anecdotal end data that, that I've seen is that we're in the broader market, particularly from our perspective, being an agency, there is, there is an assumption that there is a one-size-fits-all. And what we say is, no, there isn't. And I think that that is a, a really powerful concept. You can go so many different ways. There's so many different technologies that can support you to get to where you need to be. However, it does kind of need to be quite custom and it depends on what you're trying to achieve. We're not just like giving a like out of the box solution here. We are trying to think about these things really broadly. And some of those you know, comments you mentioned about the SEO is a really good example. You really do need to think about it <laughs> to quite a, a granular detail. Yeah, definitely. Someone gave me a good analogy of this the other day. They said, take any two direct competing businesses. So you might take Burger King and McDonald's, or you might take Adidas and Nike, or you might actually just look at your two coffee shops in your local village, and then decide to look at their websites and work out what the differences are between them. And you can guarantee at any level, they're all on completely different platforms, completely different design, different call to actions, all that sort of stuff. Nike and Adidas are very, very similar in one sense. But actually, you'd argue that Nike is trying to go a bit more premium these days than Adidas. And then you could also argue that they've made different strides in and out of the sporting, you know, professional sporting world, for example. And then if you look at the web technology they're using and even the way they approach, going back to our international example, I haven't looked at them offhand, but I can almost guarantee that the international approach to SEO on those sites or even the instances will be completely different. And I think that that just completely ticks that box, or as we say, of it, it, it has to be relevant to your business. And I think I love your example you just gave Tim of the um, working out the commercial cost versus benefit of having a store for each country. And I think it's worth thinking about that stuff, even if you're a one-person business at the moment, because mm-hmm. actually, where you're building and growing today, you're creating the barriers for growth tomorrow, and you need to understand what barriers you're putting in there and how you're going to get through them. Or actually, if you could do stuff today that would avoid that. Absolutely. So we have some clients that come to us saying, look, we've got this dot-com global site. We're really popular in the UK and the US, but we want to grow in Europe. So we then build a strategy that said, right, this is now going to be the rest of the world's site. 
And one by one, we will then start building out new sites on new domains, or we'll have a forward slash with a, there is now a specific German site. And then there are ways we can communicate that to Google from a PPC, SEO perspective. And then we make those decisions as to like, do we have a separate Facebook page for each one and stuff like this? I think my general advice, and it'd be interesting to see what you think about this as well, Tim, but my general advice would be to start with one store in your core territory, get that working well enough before you start looking at international, because it does... And we'll come on to some of the specific technicalities later, but it does start to complicate stuff. Do you, do you agree with that or do you see it differently? Or No, I, I, I'd agree with that. Uh, and I would back it up with the concept, we kind of mentioned it before, that the single Shopify instance with the multi-currency feature kind of running in the background, and this is either for a smaller brand or maybe a more established brand that's testing a new market is a good option because it's quick, it's easy, and it's relatively low cost. The other thing which you mentioned, which I think is really valuable, is it is quite agile. You don't go in with this one store and you're technically and operationally in debt. You can launch it, test it, and if you see traction, in one of those regions within that market, and you can spin out a new store really quickly. Like I'm talking like a matter of days. So I think in terms of that way of thinking, it, it, it's really valuable. But I, I would press and again, <laughs> we'll come back to the caveat. It probably depends on the type of brand and what the retailer has done in the past. So I think the only caveat to that would be if you already operate in those markets. So if you are a, a brand that's on maybe another technology, trying to consolidate them all into the one Shopify instance, if you were doing, say, a replatform project, I would say that they, that would need to be very, very seriously considered. You would probably want to stick with whatever you've had in your Magento world or your Salesforce world and recreate it in Shopify. Sure. And what would you recommend if somebody was thinking, right, we need to go international? Do you recommend just launching the site with loads of currencies on it? Do you recommend starting with a, I know you're going to use your caveat, but, <laughs> um, or do you recommend starting with um, starting with a single territory? Say like, okay, we're US-based, let's launch in Canada next. Because that's around the corner, it's easy for fulfillment and stuff. Do you recommend just one big rest of the world site or territories? I will put it into two camps. Cool. So I will say if you're a newer brand, a newer direct-to-consumer brand, I'd highly recommend using the kind of single store with Shopify's multi-currency. And for the reasons that we kind of mentioned before, it's quick, easy, and you get into the new market with great ease. Of course, there are some operational and logistical considerations. So that's one camp, and, and I, I would recommend it. For a more established brand that maybe operates in those markets, you're going to need to take a slightly more custom approach. And that's when you start to get into the kind of multi-store architecture, whereby you would map out kind of what regions you're going to be operating in and which of those are primary and secondary markets. And then you might start to employ kind of like uh, master subsidiary store concepts. So that what does that mean? That means my UK is my primary market and then Europe is the secondary market. I'm not sure if it's going to be Germany or France uh, or Italy. So you'd have this kind of multi-store approach and you would have technology sitting on your master store that would sync data from the master store to these subsidiary stores. Now, I would argue that brands at that scale who have kind of already got that footprint are going to be different to the kind of newer direct consumer brand, not just from their offering, but behind the scenes. They're probably going to have more technology sitting behind their website. So their kind of broader operational business technology, they may have ERPs, mm -hmm. warehouse systems, all this kind of stuff. That means you're going to need middleware that kind of sits between that and your e-com kind of ecosystem, which means that the whole thing needs much more thought and much more planning 
and at we make websites this is like 95% of our clients use this kind of multi-store architecture but I will go back to this point before and I think this kind of concept that when you've got all of these different stores it's loads more operationally headache it is operationally more than one store that is 100% a fact however anecdotally I've seen evidence of clients wanting expensive apps to sync data and make it as efficient as possible and they don't use them. <laughs> they literally don't use them. So we, you spend all this time devising this highly, highly, highly automated kind of system and architecture to reduce these kind of overheads, but then they don't really kind of manifest. So I do feel there is some mysticism around the, the actual operational impact of these multiple stores. Then the only other piece, this is the big dog. If you really are a well-established global seller, I would recommend that you do consider headless architecture. Buzzword, new technology, new way of doing things. However, <laughs> it was it new does, two it, years ago, but I know what you're it, Yeah, that's true. That's true. But the adoption rate at the moment is just, just incredible. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, we're seeing more and more people very, very interested in it. And the reason people aren't actually going ahead with it is it's so complex and yeah, it's just yeah. a very 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 different way of approaching this this entire system and therefore the costs are just exponentially greater so i mean if you're a brand you need to be looking at a 250 to sort of 500,000 pound initial project and then you're looking at like 40k a month which is a vastly different to that kind of middle option that i talked about before with a multi-store architecture kind of piecing things together so broadly speaking i think that's where the kind of that the clients would would sit in those three buckets. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I can probably vouch we don't have too many listeners on the uh, the big dog end of stuff, which sounds really weird in a British accent. But you know what I, mean? I think a lot of people probably be sitting down that lower end going, right, I've got loads of sales here in Australia, for example, and I'm looking at New Zealand, I'm looking at Asia, I'm looking at the US across the Pacific. What are we going to do next? And I think yeah, I think I think it's a really good points in that that's definitely worth considering. I think the headless approach, it's worth a quick Google, but like you say, Tim, it's you know, it's very complicated. We've got a few clients doing it, some on WordPress, one using Drupal, one yep. using Shopify at the moment. So bearing in mind we are one of the world's Shopify expert businesses and et cetera. And we have thousands of people every week that tune into this podcast. The fact we have one and we're talking to two or three others and they've they looked at the costs and threw up slightly. <laughs> but then when we explained like the benefit of page speed and actually how the ERP will now work with everything so we don't have to wait for things to happen and the integrations become simpler, it's a massive, as you say, a massive upfront cost. It's quite expensive long term. But again, if you, if you guys listening right now are thinking, I do want to employ 5,000 staff, we want to be the next Gymshark, that is the way you need to be. You need to be looking at some point. And what you don't want to do now is create so many problems in the business that you look at a project like that and think it's just not worth it. Exactly. What you want to do now is think we're going to head that way. So where does that fit in our roadmap? Yeah. And, and I think it, I think to give those people who are considering that some glimpse of hope, I would argue that as that technology becomes adopted in greater numbers, you're going to, the economies of scale will drive down costs. Yeah, definitely. So more agencies who are doing it, more people like you guys advising it, more people like us, the technology itself becoming more widely available. Like you will see that the cost kind of decrease, but it's not just the cost. It's just, it's a more complex concept in general. But anyway, I think in, in terms of your, the, the vast majority of the listeners, that kind of th those two buckets. So the single store concept and then setting up multiple stores is two very, very, very good options if you want to go international. Cool. Well, look, 
Let's bring things right back down to earth now and talk about some very simple, specific little technical things. What sort of stuff is involved in international? We've used some buzzwords already <laughs> around kind of currency, uh, language. What are the kind of things like, not looking for a checklist necessarily, what are the sort of things people are looking for with international stuff? Like what, what's Google looking for when they look at a site and go, right, what territories are you in? Yeah, so I think you can, you, to simplify it, we can probably put it into two buckets. And I would say there's a front-end bucket and there's a back-end bucket. And from the front-end, it's probably worth us just slightly exploring that. So the actual spinning out of a new territory, a new store in a very, very quick way is very, very easy from a design and development perspective. As I kind of mentioned, if the design is the same as the other regions, you can spin it out in a couple of days. So in in, in the in the broader scheme of things, quite simple. Currency language, URL structure are the other things that you want to consider on that front end piece. Now, of course, they re relate to the back end and they, they kind of do influence each other, but that's what you want to consider there. And on that piece, I don't think I'm going to go into too much detail because there's so many different permutations, but they are the things that you need to consider. On the back end, the operations, I think that is also a very, very key point. That's something for people to consider. And that is things like the taxes, laws, regulations in those individual markets. Other big one, fulfillment. Are you using your own fulfillment networks? Are you using a 3PL? And then all of that stuff needs to be mapped and glued together with some, well, it could be technology, could be spreadsheets, depends on how we want to do it, probably spreadsheets to technology as you grow. But you need something behind all of that, like gluing it all together. And that gets to the kind of the middleware piece that I talked about before. So there's kind of the glue that marries both the front end and the back end. So I would say with a very, very broad stroke, the front end and the back end is kind of what you need to consider. I mean, of course, all of this though is, you know, caveated with like just good market research that you think that whatever market you're going into, there's going to be traction before you start any of this stuff. And I think at the moment, the, the really interesting thing is that the the barrier to entry from a technology perspective is so low. Like you can start, we could start a store tomorrow, right? And we could go international. Maybe we should. What? Maybe that's Maybe what we should. should. Exactly. <laughs> but the barrier to entry, which has increased is the brand. What is it that you're doing? What, what, what is it? are you selling what are you is it a need is it a want are you competing with amazon or are you competing with a bunch of other shopify stores i think that is where you know the real challenge lies in, in in any brand in in 2020 and beyond i think one thing that's quite interesting as well is when you start to look at like click costs on google across different territories that seems to be a trigger that generally starts this kind of conversation with a lot of our clients as they say well look, our click costs in the uk are quite high we're making profit we know we're going to continue to grow and scale that but actually, what are the click costs if we're in the UK? What is it in France? Or if we're in the UK, what is it in the US? And certainly the bigger the market, the lower the click costs tend to be. The UK is incredibly saturated. Like I think we're like second highest after Dubai or something or Singapore in terms of click costs, which is just mad when you think about it. But stuff like that, again, when you talk about the market research side, I think it is really important that going international is not just a button click in the back of the Shopify end and you suddenly got loads of sales. You're going to have to market this. You're essentially launching a new business in a new market. Again, you've obviously got all the financial backing and the website itself and things are optimized because you've done that in your initial territory. But I think you've got to think about these other things. And one thing you mentioned, Tim, which I think people will completely underestimate, and we did with our own shop. And I'll tell you how I started that in a minute because it was because of, uh, it was because of, one, of your, one of your colleagues. But yeah, one of the things people totally overlook is tax. Yeah. The way tax and payment works in different countries varies like crazy so long story short i went to a WeMet website shopify meetup it must have been around the time you were starting and alex one of the founders and um, pierre the one of the other founders 
th- those guys were doing um, a sort of meetup one night in London and I left it and I was on the train at like 10 p.m. at night going, well, Shopify is blooming easy, isn't it? And I spent, <laughs> I think, £5,000 on my credit card on Alibaba that night, ordered some bamboo sunglasses. And that was about three or four years ago. And I actually only closed the business down and sold everything out of it about six months ago. So we were actually running it until now. But even with that, we were getting customers going, I've just received an email saying my product's sitting at the New Zealand customs. Can you explain what's going on? And we were like, what the hell? Like never (laughs) heard of that. And then obviously we had to do a bit of research, talk to the import export guys in in our government. And they said, oh yeah, if you send a product, they have to pay import tax on it, not you then. And we were like, oh, we should probably make our customers aware of that. Unless, yep. like you said, Tim, you then open a distribution center or warehouse in that local territory. So you move the goods into that country, pay the taxes yourself, then they're sold locally. And if you do that, that then opens other complications, which I won't go into in full detail, but you basically have to offer the legally provided payment gateway and payment terms in that country, which in Germany, people are allowed to order products and pay on invoice. You can have the product tomorrow and you don't have to pay for 30 days. That is normal in Germany. So if you're distributing locally from Germany, A, you have to have a company registered there. And it goes on. And the same with it's cash on delivery in places like Vietnam and the Philippines. So you literally are hoping that a DPD driver or somebody gets like however many Vietnamese dong from the customer. And we, might, we actually have some people who tune into this from Vietnam and the Philippines. But again, you just, you've got to be aware of this stuff because then you're not going to sell any products if you're not offering the right kind of payment gateways to the people in that local area. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot to consider. It's not as simple as clicking a button. However, as we've mentioned, the benefit of actually going international can be can be absolutely huge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, operationally and like from your back office tech perspective and, and all of those things that you mentioned, yeah, really do need some thought. And firstly, it makes the front end and the currency and the language and URL structure actually seem <laughs> not too bad and quite easy oh, to yes. overcome. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you know, look, I, I think that as long as a brand is, is, if they're serious about it, they will put the time, effort and energy into thinking about this stuff before they go and do it. So there is plenty of well-trodden paths across the world that they can kind of look to when, when embarking on one of these new challenges. We actually started offering international delivery on our store. And what was really interesting about doing that is it was on the basis that people were already finding our ads, even though they were outside of the UK. They were finding our ads in Finland, Sweden, New Zealand, Portugal. So we then just phoned our courier and said, can we start shipping to these locations? They said, yes. So generally speaking, it was fine. And then we just had made sure on the order confirmation email if they're based in another location to say, just so you're fully aware, your product's going to be dispatched in two working days time, deliberately late. So you have two days to cancel it if you want, but just to make you aware that you're going to have to pay some sort of import tax when it arrives. It's being distributed from the UK and you've bought it from a UK business. Just so everyone was clear. And when we put that message in there, we started getting more reviews from our customers. They were like, yeah, I knew exactly what was going to go on, which is quite interesting. So it's, that was our barrier to entry is making sure that we just spoke to the courier, offered, as you say, in Shopify, you can just configure 20 new currencies, have a little currency changer on the sites, and you just configure it with the cart and suddenly you can 20 pounds to, to deliver it to Canada and the US or it's free delivery in the UK. And you can just configure that quickly in the back end, which is quite nice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's all there at your disposal. It's those little quirks and nuances, <laughs> like the messaging to the customer that you really need to consider. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And Tim, any other final thoughts before we close up today? I feel like we've gone through my entire list of questions without me asking many, which is good. But yeah, any other any other final thoughts from you in terms of like words of warning, how best to approach this, etc.? 
Yeah, so it's an interesting one. I've been thinking about this broadly in terms of like starting businesses. And I think there is something really quite simple and brilliant about the naivety of getting into these things, of starting a business and not knowing too much because it means you don't think about every single angle and therefore you might actually do it as opposed to being worried about doing it. So there's something in that. But I will counter that with if you are going and you're going full steam ahead, get expert advice. And that's if, if that's an agency, if it's working with someone like you guys, if it's a consultant or it's you're hiring people that come into your team, get people that understand the nuances of selling internationally on Shopify. And I find the e-com space is pretty tight-knit. So it's probably likely that whoever you're looking to engage, somebody that knows them, get their two cents, see what they're all about. So yeah, I like the naivety. Go for it. Jump in. But if you're going to do it, get expert advice. I think that's absolutely sound in terms of getting the right advice. And also, the you mentioned about the industry. It is quite close-knit. I got a couple of messages on our Facebook group where people ask questions and, and have a chat with us and that sort of thing. And some of them were like, where on earth do you find all these amazing guests? Do they reach out to you now? And some of them do. But generally, it's like, Tim, we've known each other for, what, three, four years? We've done events together. I've, we've had your events we've been running in London and vice versa. Again, the, the community is very, very close-knit. you just got to, in my opinion, you only get out of supply what you put in. So having the right brief, I think, is really, really key. I, I did an episode recently where I, I basically wrote down a moan. And I was having one morning over my coffee going, why do people do this? Wrote it down, rephrased it as something nice and positive, and then did a, an episode on it a few episodes ago, which was about where we, we quite often get people saying like, no, we tried PPC, we spent 10 grand on it, it doesn't work, or we spent $100 of our own money and got nothing back. And it's like, you only get out the supply what you put in. So if you go into a conversation like that, you can guarantee how the person on the other side of that conversation is going to respond. That wasn't us. Maybe you're not a client we want, if that's going to be your approach. Are you then going to say the same about us after we've spent $100? So I think, as you say, get the right advice. And the e-commerce industry is very close-knit. So asking around to find people and make sure you've got a brief of saying, we only want a web agency that know what they're doing, specifically with Shopify, and we want to see some case studies. We know that they've worked internationally. The same goes for any PPC stuff you're doing. Another interesting thing we've not touched on too much, because I think it's kind of an obvious, is language. And so if you're working with a web agency who don't speak German, it might be fine, but you need to make sure that there is a framework in place and they have a way of working where they can get the German language on the site. Because assuming you as the business have decided that we should have German in Germany, we shouldn't just use American English or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think, again, things like that, I think are really, really key. We did have a client at one point say, oh, we've got the social media agency. They're updating all our global channels now. And we went and had a look and three weeks in, suddenly all their localized languages had disappeared. Everything was the same post in basically in English, posted <laughs> across all channels. And we were like, you do know you've never, ever had a comment outside of the UK or the US in English. And all your comments have stopped. Your engagement's gone. You've now got a repair job on your hands. And then they were like, oh, we thought that, that agency are the best in the UK. And we're like, that's fine. But you don't just operate in the UK. <laughs> you operate in lots of countries. So, so yeah, I think it is a good point. And Tim and I, we, we send each other emails on a sort of biannually basis going, can you guys do this? Or have you touched this before? Or we've potentially got a client who might be interested in working with you guys. Or occasionally, and this did happen earlier this year, and I didn't talk to you about this actually, Tim, but we're both pitching for a similar project. Obviously, us on the SEO side, you guys on web, 
we're pitching for a similar project. I know we were because the client said, oh, this is the other web agency we're talking to. Do you have a preference? And I sort of said, well, I know them both incredibly well. One I introduced them, the other one would have been my second choice introduction. So again, it's, it's a very close-knit community, as you say. And I think trying to find advice has never been easier. You look online, look on your competitor sites and see how they manage different locations, see how big their teams are by looking on LinkedIn. That's all part of the market research, I think, to, uh, to understand this stuff. But, yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and you, you make it a fantastic point. And that is... But on both fronts, that's anyone who's in, who's going into these engagements, whether it's an agency, consultant, and or the brand, like set your expectations. Like, what are you expecting out of this engagement, and are those expectations? certainly need to be aligned at the start but you need to go back and challenge those three months in six months in like are you still totally aligned on where you're both going and i think if you have that at the core of your kind of like engagement process then that should make for a very successful agency client relationship sure i think the the best partnership between a sort of brand and supplier is where they're both going to grow together I think you don't want someone who's, it's the kind of goldilocks approach as one of our directors at spec calls it is not too big not too small and that's not that's not headcount. It's not fee. It's everything. How big is this project? How big is this engagement for them and for us? We've had some clients ask us in the past, like, you know, we're six thousand people. How big are you guys? And we're like, well, we're nowhere near six thousand. But actually, your web operation that we're going to be dealing with, they are smaller than we are. Yeah. So actually, we're absolutely fine on that front. Yeah. And it's kind of like. Oh, yeah. What a silly question for me to ask. <laughs> well, look, we're going to close it off there. Tim, I really appreciate your time. I'm so glad we managed to get this in as well because we were playing phone tennis for a little bit with, with diary invites. But yeah, really, really happy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for, um, for being here. It was a pleasure, Nick. Uh, lovely to speak to you and I'm sure we'll be speaking soon. And finally, just for the spirit, Tim, how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in WeMet websites or your podcast or want to follow you online? Where's the best place to do that? I had not been a very big social user up until a couple of years ago. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's Tim Richardson and I work for We Make Websites. If you type that in, you'll find me. WeMakeWebsites.com is the agency and then YourBasketIsEmpty.com is the website for the podcast. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm going to go and check your podcast out now. You mentioned it to me before, but now I've got the name. I'm going to go and listen to a few episodes this afternoon. So uh, thanks, everybody else for tuning in. And if you want to support the show, hit the subscribe button, check out our Facebook group, and we will be back again next week posting every Friday. So thanks a lot and hope you enjoy your weekends. Sign up for free for the Shopify approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.